When people think about the talent discrepancy between Alabama and Texas, I actually pushed back quite a bit on whether or not that gap is so significant. Now, Alabama has a superior roster. They have a deeper roster, but their top-end starters are probably as close as it's been since 2009. It's the game everybody's had circled. We will break it down from every possible angle. I know you're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. We have a great weekend coming up in college football. We will hit every single significant matchup. Now, there might be a matchup or two that doesn't involve your team, but we might hit that matchup. And look at maybe the one thing that we're looking for. For instance, Ohio State quarterbacks. Not a huge matchup against Youngstown State, but we're going to talk about what I want to see from Kyle McCord and then from Devin Brown if he gets in in relief. We'll hit Texas A&M Miami. We'll hit Ole Miss Tulane. We'll hit uh, NC State Notre Dame. We'll hit all the big games. We'll hit the game, big game in the Palouse. We'll hit Colorado. We're going to hit them all. We're going to break them down with as much depth and with as much statistical and tape evidence as humanly possible. I've watched the tape. I feel prepared. I can't wait for this weekend. We also will give you a couple lines too. I'm not saying that I would bet them. I'm just saying that that would be the side I'd lean towards if I were thinking about making a play. Welcome to Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy, continuing to ask you to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. If you could leave us a rating, it'd be amazing. If you could subscribe, that'd be terrific. If you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would mean a lot as well. I also encourage all of you to tell your friends. We're doing, I think, really fun work here at Always College Football, and we're very grateful to you guys, but we're not out you know, pushing the product. We don't have a marketing budget. We just want to talk ball with some of our good friends, and even though we don't necessarily know each other, y'all are my friends. So let's get to it. Tons of games we need to get to. Let's kick it off with Texas and Alabama. Let's start with lead billing. Texas travels to Tuscaloosa to take on the Crimson Tide. This game will be 7 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN. Last year, let's think about the game. Quinn Ewers gets hurt, but prior to that moment, was having maybe the best game of his career. Alabama killed themselves with penalties, had 15 Penalties in the game, which at the time was the most ever by a Nick Saban coached Alabama team. And then when you think about where things went as the game went on, Bryce Young made some miraculous plays, end up hitting a game winner, and the rest is history. A lot has been made about Alabama and Nick Saban against former assistants. To me, it doesn't really, it's a good storyline for the media, but it's not going to have a huge impact on this game. The other thing I would say too when people think about the talent discrepancy between Alabama and Texas, I actually pushed back quite a bit on whether or not that gap is so significant. Now, Alabama has a superior roster. They have a deeper roster, but their top-end starters are probably as close as it's been since 2009. I mean, it really has been quite a while since the top-end starters on both squads would be comparable. Texas, by the way, they've signed 126 ESPN 300 recruits since 2015. So they've recruited well. It's just developing players into NFL draft picks has been something that has missed the Texas program. Let's start with Texas's offense against Alabama's defense. Alabama a little banged up in the secondary, still trying to find out exactly the availability of Malachi Moore. So trying to figure out Jalen Key, a couple other guys that were a little bit banged up. So we'll have to check their availability as we get a little closer to game time. But that could be a potential difference knowing the depth and the capability 
of this Texas wide receiver core, but it really starts with the quarterback spot. Quinn Ewers, last week against Rice, unspectacular. If you really go back, I watched it again twice now. Felt not so great the first time I saw it. Felt a little better the second time I saw it. The one thing that was missing in the game was effectiveness on the deep ball. I think against Alabama, he's going to have to be really good on throws down the field. That's where he really excelled in the Alabama game last year. On throws that traveled 15 or more yards downfield last year against Alabama, he was three for four. Overall, he was nine for 12. Very efficient. Got the ball out of his hands. I thought their protection was very sound as well. So he's going to have to be better throwing the ball downfield because last week against Rice, he was 0 for 7 on throws that traveled 20 or more yards downfield. And if you go back all the way to last year, he's actually only 12 of 55 on those throws. That's 22% completion. That is 128th amongst qualifying FBS quarterbacks. And to make it even worse, 32 of those 55 attempts have been deemed uncatchable. That's the 10th most in the FBS since last year. So he's going to have to be a lot better on the downfield throws if he's going to take advantage of the chunk yardage that might be had against Alabama. The running back position last week, outside of the drop by Jonathan Brooks, thought they adequately filled Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson's void. I think their backs are going to be just fine, and I think their wide receivers are clearly phenomenal. The offensive line last week I thought was not great. First half... It's tough to sugarcoat. They let some leakage. They didn't do a great job getting pushed in the run game. But if you actually look at how they played in the second half, it was quite a bit better. However, outside of four run plays last week, they averaged really not a lot. They averaged 2.1 yards per carry. You had a 32-yarder by C.J. Baxter, 19-yarder by Blue, 18 by Brooks, and then a 16-yard scamper by Quinn Ewers. The other 35 carries went for 73 yards. So they had to be more consistent being able to run the football against Alabama's defensive front, which is arguably Alabama's strength. I do think the tackles are going to have to be better because Alabama's pass rushers on the edges are very, very disruptive. Chris Braswell on one side, he doesn't get as much play, but he's maybe the strongest guy pound for pound on the entire team. And then Dallas Turner, who everybody knows coming into the season, is an All-American candidate. So they're going to have to be really good as far as their protection for Quinn Ewers. Did they start by employing seven-man protection, extra guys in the protection? Maybe. Last year, that's what they did. This year, they might not feel like they need to, so maybe they take a couple drives to assess whether or not their tackles can hold up and adjust accordingly. If they can't, then you get moving. As far as Alabama's offense, Jalen Milrow, I thought last week, played very, very well. Missed a couple throws early. On the intermediate stuff, he's not going to be a guy that can just flat out carve you up on the underneath and the intermediate. But what he does do really well is he pushes the ball down the field. He also, I think people have a bit of a misconception. When he runs, he actually gets a little bit less accurate on the move than he does when he's stationary within the pocket. So if Alabama is going to feel good about their passing attack, they don't need him on the move. When he's moving and when he's running, he's scrambling to run, not scrambling to throw. So it's very, very important that Alabama keeps the pocket integrity clean so that he can drive the ball down the field. The other thing that was interesting about Alabama last week and watching them against Middle Tennessee, in 2022, 21, and 20, they employed very little two tight end personnel looks. In 2022, for instance, 
They had two tight ends on the field, just 19% of the snaps. In 2021, they had 18% of the snaps. Well, last week, Tommy Reese, new offensive coordinator coming down from uh, Notre Dame, they employed two tight end personnel 45% of the time. I expect that to continue as they move forward against Texas. They're going to try to run the ball against what I think is an excellent defensive front. I think Tivandre Sweat is phenomenal. Jalen Ford at linebacker, phenomenal. You look at their interior defensive line, those guys do a heck of a job, so it's going to be hard to run the ball with tremendous consistency. Alabama, I think, is going to have to live more on the perimeter, and Jalen Milrow and company can certainly do that. The matchups I think you have to watch, I already referenced it, Alabama's run game against Texas's run defense. Can Texas hold up? And will Alabama be able to move people off the ball the way they thought they might be able to coming into the season. That's something to watch. And then, of course, a reference that already Texas's wide receivers against Alabama's defensive backs. We know Xavier Worthy. We know just how capable he is. This is a guy with tremendous top-end speed. Well, he draws Kool-Aid McKinstry. Kool-Aid McKinstry, by all accounts, one of the best corners in America. But not to be overshadowed is Terry and Arnold on the other side. He'll get Whittington. He'll get A.D. Mitchell. He'll get the number two wide receiver, depending on the look from the Texas Longhorns. Two other X factors in the game. They both play a very similar position. LT Overton, the outstanding athletic tight end for Texas. Can he create a matchup against Alabama's safeties, which are relatively inexperienced? And then on the other side, Amari Nyblack for Alabama. He had a touchdown last week and figures to be a big factor in the passing game as it relates to creating matchups. I lean Alabama just ever so slightly, but I think it's going to be a heck of a game all the way down to the wire. Let's get it kicked off at noon on ABC with Notre Dame and NC State. Notre Dame so far has completely dominated their competition. They've won both games by a combined 92 points. And with all due respect to both Navy and Tennessee State, this is a significant jump up in competition. A lot of people are going to be focusing almost exclusively on Sam Hartman. That's the big talk coming in to this game. Sam Hartman so far at quarterback has been flawless, uh, has moved in the pocket beautifully. I describe his play. He's just an effortless player. He makes everything look really easy. I think back to a touchdown that he threw against Navy. There was pressure in his face. He evaded, slid to his left, so calm, so cool, so collected, attacked the line of scrimmage, slid up, guys uncovered, he hits one in the front left corner of the end zone for a big touchdown. He's just very under control. He's going against a defense in NC State that is remarkably disruptive. NC State last week, not great at times. The first drive was one that you'd like to forget if you're an NC State fan. And they gave up a 71-yard run a little later in the game to Victor Rose. Those are really the two things that UConn could do offensively. But other than that, NC State, I thought, did an adequate job of being able to disrupt the rhythm of this UConn offense and push some of the pieces in the front end backwards. A couple of things I'll be watching closely. Notre Dame's offensive line, for whatever, I think it's a strength. I still believe it's a strength. I think really from right guard all the way to left tackle. They've played really well for whatever reason on the right tackle side. Hasn't been quite as good as I anticipated, but I remain optimistic because I've seen Blake Fisher do it before. I think he'll do it again. Now is where he's going to have to level up. He's going against an excellent defensive front. Savion Jackson is back more than likely. He was out the first game, but he's back. He wears number nine. Keep an eye on him. Davin Van 
I think is amazing. There, number one, he was awarded number one for his play. Keep an eye on him. He's the other bookend. And then in the middle, you'll have CJ Clark, who's a big body that can be disruptive. But the strength of this defense is at linebacker. Peyton Wilson, if he had a clean bill of health from an injury standpoint, he's been banged up, has had shoulder issues, had multiple surgeries. If he had a clean bill of health his whole career, you can make a case he's one of the best linebackers in NC State history. I think he's a complete game changer. Keep an eye on number 11 if you're Notre Dame for NC State. And then not to be outdone, Devon Betty, who's number 26, I thought did a really nice job as well. So those are the two guys on the inside that you need to be keeping an eye on. And then the other big question for Notre Dame has really been their wide receivers. We've documented it. I feel cautiously optimistic with what I've seen from Jaden Thomas, who I think is a big physical body. They've used him even a little bit at a tight end position. Very, very soft hands, but he's really more of a possession guy. Tobias Merriweather's kind of the jet sweep guy. Jaden Greathouse, the true freshman, had the touchdown against Navy, a couple touchdowns there. I don't think he has crazy top-end speed, but he's remarkably reliable and has very strong hands there in the slot. But the guy that I think they absolutely have to get a lot of touches to is Chris Tyree. The he played running back forever. He's now in the slot. He's their most dynamic playmaker. They got to get him eight to 10 touches a game. I think you can do so against this very aggressive defensive front for NC State. Switching over to the other side of the ball, the thing that I'm paying most close attention to, Brennan Armstrong's a terrific athlete, great runner, but the passing game for NC State so far has been a bit of a work in progress. As far as what we've seen from Notre Dame's defensive backs, they played Tennessee State and they played Navy. They haven't been challenged. They haven't been tested. I think they're good. I do. I think they're really good. But I'm not 100% sure just yet exactly how things are going to work in the back end because it's really the first test that we've seen from them all season. Safety play is one that I'll be watching very closely in the game. And then finally, I think it's going to be worth noting. It's going to be worth noting when watching NC State, how many touches does Michael Allen get? He's the running back. He's not the starter, but he's the backup. But he might be the most dynamic running back option that NC State's had since Naheem Hines a couple years back. See how many touches he gets and see how many touches Casey Concepcion gets. He's the slot receiver. I think he's got a lot of juice. and I think he could stand to have a big game in this matchup if they can find some favorable looks for the talented true freshman. I lean, I'm not going to make a pick in this game, but I lean towards this game being a real physical grind it out slugfest. Both these teams pride themselves on being physical. I think this game will likely be won at the line of scrimmage. And then finally, a game that maybe will be won in the line of scrimmage, but it certainly wasn't last week for the Colorado Buffaloes. Nebraska at Colorado. This game will be 12 o'clock Eastern time on Fox. I went back through and charted Colorado's offensive productivity against TCU. And I was honestly flabbergasted by D TCU's defensive plan. They wanted to play seven on seven against a team that wants you to play seven on seven. Or in this particular case, seven on eight. Colorado faced a three-man defensive line and three-man pass rush on 64% of their offensive snaps. That's 52 snaps out of 81. Now, TCU also adjusted at times to a bear defense. That's with five defensive linemen on the field or five pass rushers on the field. Not all were defensive linemen, but they covered up each one of the offensive linemen and they made those guys go one in one-on-one. -on -one. Well, when they went to a bear defense, they registered multiple sacks. They ran so only 12 times. 
but they registered multiple sacks and caused a lot more disruption up front. I would anticipate Nebraska watching that tape and saying, man, we need to force the issue at the line of scrimmage and we need to get big, heavy-handed guys like Nash Hutmaker, Ty Robinson, Blaze Gunnerson. Those guys are going to be the ones that could potentially win this one for Nebraska. They got to push the pocket. They got to make Shador Sanders uncomfortable and they got to figure out a way to cause chaos along the Colorado offensive line. And then as far as their weapons in the back end are concerned, I think Nebraska actually has excellent cover guys. Now take it with the grain. They're going against Minnesota, who I don't think is a crazy dynamic group of wide receivers, but the cover skills were on display at times throughout the course of the first game. I don't think they've seen a group quite like this. I'm not sure they will see another group quite like this until Nebraska plays against the likes of the top cats in the Big Ten. But with what you get with Dylan Edwards, who at running back, but is really at times kind of recruited as a wide receiver, he's a dynamo. Get the ball in his hands. Watch what he does with it. You got to tackle in space against that young man because he could take the distance. You also have the guy that everyone seems to be talking about, Travis Hunter. Excellent, excellent wide receiver, but his best attribute is down the field. He's going to win vertical. They had a couple close misses that could have really broken the game wide open. So he's the guy when he's on the field, when number 12 is out there on the perimeter, he's going deep. You got to make sure you stay on top of him. Xavier Weaver, also a guy that great top end speed. Keep an eye on him. He had 118 yards last week. And then Jimmy Horn, who's more of the slot guy, very, very quick, very agile, We'll do some things side to side that are difficult to cover. So I think it's really going to come down to, we're not even really going to talk about Nebraska's offense. They got to run the football. They got to take the air out of the football. And Jeff Sims cannot make mistakes. But I think it's really going to come down to whether or not Nebraska's defense can force the issue, potentially force an interception or two, force a mistake or two to be able to knock off Colorado. This line is crazy to me. Three points is all it is. Nebraska didn't look great in their first performance. TCU looked phenomenal in this performance. I am leaning towards the Huskers. I think they match up a little bit better than TCU did. If you want to play Colorado in space, be my guest. That is an impossible task. You want to play them in space? Fine. They'll beat you up. They'll kill you with their athleticism. But if you want to make this a heavyweight fight, which is what I think Nebraska can do, then I think you stand a real chance. I think Nebraska can do it. I expect them to play good, clean football. I think they'll run the football. I think their defense will put enough pressure on Shador to force a mistake or two, and the coverability will likely be better in the back end than what we saw from TCU. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence. The confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Another game this weekend that is really intriguing in Vegas. The line stinks, ladies and gentlemen. The Oregon Ducks. 81 points. They averaged 6.2 points per drive. That was the best in all of college football last week. And 
To take it one step further, it was the best we've seen in a season opener in 20 years. So pretty good start for the Oregon Ducks. They're playing against the Texas Tech Red Raiders, which got out to a 17-point lead against Wyoming. And then everything seemed to fall apart as the game went along. It's line six and a half. Texas Tech's a home dog at six and a half. Everyone and their brothers on Oregon. I'm going to tell you why Texas Tech keeps it close. I think they will keep it close. I think Oregon ultimately wins the game, but I think it's going to be by a nail biter there and a photo finish at the very end. Here's the keys to victory. Self-inflicted mistakes last week absolutely crushed Texas Tech. Crushed them. Uh, interception, just bad, bad turnovers, just not good. Bad ball. They missed three field goals. Gino Garcia missed the three field goals. So it was really just not good. Meanwhile, Oregon, very clean. Just two flags, no turnovers, just a very, no special teams miscues, very clean game. So self-inflicted mistakes. Can Texas Tech eliminate them? That will give them a real chance to pull off what would be a significant upset. The next aspect of it. Both these quarterbacks, I think, have legitimate questions when it comes to facing a quality pass rush and feeling pressure. Bo Nix at Auburn felt pressure, didn't always play great. So far in his time at Oregon, he's barely been breathed on. The guy has been back there, has a clean pocket. I think both offensive coordinators, obviously one game into the Stein era, but looking at what he did with Kenny Dillingham last year, they did a really good job of kind of moving him and allowing some time. And I thought the offensive line played beautifully at times last year. This is a guy that's been sacked five times since he stepped on campus in Eugene. That's remarkable. But if Texas Tech can apply some pressure, maybe he reverts back to his old ways. I think he's matured, but something worth noting for sure. Not a lot of teams have pressured him. Can Texas Tech? That's a big question mark. And then Tyler Shuck, on the other hand, really all offseason, you hear about how he's progressed, how he's just cutting it loose, how he's feeling more comfortable, how he's feeling more willing to just deliver. Well, last week looked a little bit more nervous in the pocket. I thought he kind of got back into some of those anxious tendencies where things aren't there and he kind of just looked a little panicked. He needs to make sure that he stays poised, he stays calm, he stays collected because Oregon clearly is a group that can get after the quarterback. Texas Tech, next key. Texas Tech has to stop the run. Oregon, I think, needs to stay committed to the run game. We know how good the one-two punch is at running back. I mean, Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington are phenomenal as a one-two punch in the backfield for the Ducks. Those guys are awesome, man. And this offensive line, I think, does a really good job as well. If the Ducks can get the ground game established, that will take some of the pressure off the pass rush. I think that will force that will force Texas Tech to put an extra defender maybe in the box, which becomes very difficult to run the football against. But if it gives you a lot of one-on-ones on the perimeter, so that's going to be significant. And then finally, the biggest part of this game, perhaps outside of the aforementioned three, Who's going to win the one-on-one matchups? I think Texas Tech has some really good personnel at wide receiver. I think Jaron Bradley does an awesome job. I think Loic Fungi, really a good player as well. Jaron Bradley's big dude. I mean, big physical guy, 220 pounds, can make the acrobatic catches. And he's going to be going against, I think, some DBs that are pretty solid as well. You look at some of the pieces that Oregon has in the back end, I think they're very good, but there are some question marks at least as of this point, Oregon has some big athletic corners, but they, we haven't really seen them get tested just yet. So this will be the first real opportunity to evaluate exactly what they have on the perimeter defensively. And then for Oregon, I referenced if they can run the ball. Guess what? Texas Tech brings an extra safety into the box. 
Now you get Troy Franklin and some serious one-on-ones. You know he's one of your guys. You know he's your alpha. You got to find ways to get him involved. You got to find ways to find space for him. He's got a big physical corner that he's likely to be drawing against Texas Tech, but he's got great speed and can get behind the defense in a heartbeat, especially if those safeties start cluing in to what's going on in the run game. I lean Oregon, but I expect this game to be very close. I expect a big bounce back performance from Texas Tech. SMU and Oklahoma won't spend as much time on this game. It is, after all, a 16-point spread or so. SMU looked good last week. First half, excellent. But I think what decides this game really more than anything else, it's going to be defenses, man. We know both offenses can score. We know both quarterbacks. I think Preston Stone looked really good last week. We know Dylan Gabriel's a heck of a player. And I, I think when you look at it, SMU last week, pretty disruptive. This is a group that didn't get a single point in the first half. I know it's against Louisiana Tech, so take it with a grain. Not a single point in the first half. They forced a turnover. They had a defensive touchdown. They had six sacks and 11 tackles for a loss and only allowed 28 yards rushing. So this SMU defense, even though no one wants to talk about them, that might be a group that might be okay, might be pretty decent. This will naturally be a big step up in competition for Oklahoma from where Arkansas State was a week ago. And then when you think about the Sooners, can they apply pressure? This is a group that had only one sack last week. That was Ethan Downs. Uh, they're in the fourth quarter. So they didn't really have a, a ton of sack yardage, but they did a really good job as far as creating pressure. They had 16 pressures in the game. And Preston Stone, by the way, against Louisiana Tech was not sacked in the game. So I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how Oklahoma attacks SMU's offensive line. Is a group that returns 139 starts collectively across the board coming into the season. So it's an experienced group. You do have an inexperienced quarterback, though, in the back end. Can Oklahoma get after him? And when you have two great offenses... It really comes down to third down efficiency. I mean, can you stay on the field? Can you get off the field? Simple as that. And last week, Oklahoma on third down was amazing. 11 of 13 conversion on their third down attempts. That's a cool 85%. That's an amazing, amazing number. But what was even more spectacular about last week's performance from the Sooners is that their average line to gain on third down was 3.8 yards. They never found themselves behind the sticks. They never found themselves off schedule. I think they had one where they were way back, but they were it was negated by a defensive penalty, so they ended up getting the first down anyways. They were really doing a good job of staying on schedule, making those third downs manageable. And when they're manageable, you can convert 85%. And then defensively, Oklahoma allowed just two of 12 on third down for Arkansas State. And the most amazing thing is that not many of those third downs were in a manageable range. So I thought Oklahoma's third down defense last week was phenomenal. It will be put to the test again this week. I think Oklahoma wins, but I would take SMU in the points. I expect that game to be probably about two touchdowns, but I'm not sure SMU will really threaten based on what I saw last week from Oklahoma. And then in the third game, they're in that middle window. Texas A&M at Miami. A&M last week offensively, Pretty dang impressive. 52 points. You think about what they did last year in three non-conference games. They scored 51 points against FBS opponents. So they have already outdone one game into the Bobby Petrino era, anything they did last year. The keys to this game, can Miami stretch the field offensively? Last week, it was against a ton of soft coverage. Guys were dropping deep, trying to keep it in front. And as a result, Tyler Van Dyke, 22, 15 of his 22 attempts traveled less than 10 yards downfield. So this was a quick, short passing attack, taking what the defense gives you. 
So he really only tried two attempts that went over 20 yards. Uh, one was intercepted. The other was a 26-yard gain. So it's going to be really important for them, I think, to stretch the field. I think they have the receivers to do it. And that's going to be, I think, a big part of what Miami's trying to do in this game. The other question that I have in this game, how does Lance Gidry, the new defensive coordinator, how does he match up his defensive backs against what is one of the deepest, most talented wide receiver cores in the entire country? Texas A&M, let's just go through it. Evan Stewart, crazy fast crazy explosive, crazy polished, really well-rounded, excellent hands. Evan Stewart would be on most teams, the number one wide receiver outside of maybe Ohio State and a handful of others. He would maybe be everyone's number one wide receiver. He's amazing. But they've now had Noah Thomas, who we've told you all off season about six foot six, 200 pounds. He's a guy that's really broke out in week one, 74 yards and three touchdowns. You know, he's going to be a a guy that they focus on with that length in the red zone, but not to be outdone, Moose Muhammad and Anaya Smith. Very dependable veterans. Moose Muhammad, more of a traditional wide receiver, but Anaya Smith is just a football player. They'll play some slot. He'll probably play some running back. He'll probably motion from the slot back into the backfield. He'll probably motion in the backfield out to the slot. He's going to be the guy that they probably try to move around and create some issues for the defense with. Lance Gidry, though, he has done a really good job over the course of his history in creating issues for opposing quarterbacks. At Marshall last year, at Marshall, the herd ranked third in the country last year in pass efficiency defense. They trailed only Penn State and Illinois. Marshall ranked tied for 15th nationally in opponents' yards per passing attempt, meaning they only allowed 6.4 yards per attempt last year. So by comparison's sake, just, just so you understand how good that is, Miami was 117th last year, last year in that category. They gave up 8.3 yards per attempt. So it's going to be interesting to see how he devises a scheme to neutralize what should be a significant advantage for the Texas A&M Aggies. The good news is he does have a lot of experience on the perimeter. We know their two safeties are excellent. Cam Kitchens, one of the best in college football. They also have an excellent box safety as well that can get involved down at or near the line of scrimmage. But Devontae Brown, 1,900 career snaps. To Corey Crouch, Couch, 1,773 career snaps. Jaden Davis, 1,539 career snaps. And Daryl Porter, 952 career snaps. So there's a lot of experience out there on the perimeter, and they have a really difficult draw against, obviously, excellent wide receiver personnel for the Aggies. I lean the Aggies here. I think their talent is superior, even though I think Miami has improved drastically from where they were a year ago. I'm still not sure they're quite to the point where they can close the gap with the Aggies. You know, I love that group this year. And I think the offensive line, if they can play like they played last year, week and Connor Wigman can distribute the ball as quickly as he did last week, they should be in a pretty good position to find success, especially on run-after-catch situations. So I lean Aggies. I lay the points. I think it's going to be a good win for the Aggies and Jimbo Fisher. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. That essay that you definitely started weeks before the deadline and not the night before the deadline might be easier with some late-night snacks. DoorDash can help get you the snacks and energy drinks you need to get through that all-nighter. Get back to school savings you really want and get unlimited free DoorDash delivery with DashPass, just $4.99 a month for students. How worth it? So worth it. With $0 delivery fees, exclusive items, and more than 25,000 members-only offers nationwide, DashPass by DoorDash has everything you need to make this semester memorable. DashPass for students gets you delivery in an hour or less so you can satisfy those spur-of-the-moment cravings or save even more with 5% DoorDash credits back on pickup orders. For a limited time, you'll save 50% off up to $10 on your next order of $15 or more. dollars. When you sign up for DashPass student plan and enter the code ACFBTC, that's 50% off up to $10 on your next order of $15 or more dollars when you sign up for the Dash Pass student plan and enter code ACFBTC. Don't forget, that's code ACFBTC for 50% off when you sign up for the Dash Pass student plan. Subject to change, terms apply. Sneaky good game, 3.30 Eastern time on ESPN2. Ole Miss travels to New Orleans in a ranked matchup against the Tulane Green Wave. Ole Miss is playing a non-conference road game against a ranked opponent for the first time since 28, 2008. So it's been quite a while. And then Tulane, remember, former member of the SEC, they've lost 11 straight games against SEC opponents since beating Mississippi State back in 2006. Not going to spend a ton of time on this game. Two things I really want you to watch. I really am, con- am interested in seeing how Jackson Dart plays. He's got excellent weapons. I think we know that they can run the football with Quidshawn Judkins. How does Jackson Dart operate on throws down the field? Threw four touchdown passes last week. Spencer Sanders, by the way, threw two. So combining together amongst their two quarterbacks, six touchdown passes, and you're going to find a way to get the ball to Trey Harris, a guy that really burst out last week that I don't think a ton of people were talking about in the preseason, but he will be a name that people will get to know as they move along. And then conversely for Tulane, can Michael Pratt continue the dominance downfield that he had last week against South Alabama? Because that was one of the best performances I've seen by a quarterback throwing the ball downfield in quite a while. Here are the numbers, just so you can understand just how good this performance was. 14 of 15 for 294 and four touchdowns, okay? That's the box score numbers. But if you go just a step further, that's 93% completion. He currently leads college football. And he does so, the national average is about 64%. So he's nearly 30 points north of the national average on completion percentage. That would be understandable if he's throwing the ball at the line of scrimmage or everything's under 10 yards. I mean, that's that's not that outrageous, right? I mean, 93% is still ridiculous. But when you take this second layer into account, it makes it even more insane. Leads in completion percentage. But how about the fact that he averaged, averaged, the average distance the ball traveled from the line of scrimmage was 14.3 yards downfield. 
That's also number one in college football. The national average is 8.3. So not only is he 30 points higher on completion percentage, he's also six yards further on his average attempt past travel distance. That's absurd. So he is playing really well, even though it's just through one week. But this will be a good opportunity for us to evaluate the front seven defensively for Ole Miss, where they think they've grown by leaps and bounds there. And then safety play, big question mark for Ole Miss. If they are really good down the field, if they're really good off play action, will those safeties be able to make plays? That, I think, is the big question. I lean Ole Miss in this game. I think they get it done with a balanced offense and an attack that Tulane will have a difficult time slowing down. Let's go to a really interesting one on the Palouse. Wisconsin. You know I've loved Wisconsin all offseason. Didn't love their tape last week, but I've loved them all offseason. So it'll be 7.30 Eastern time on ABC. It's the first time, by the way, that Washington State hosts a Power 5 non-conference opponent in 25 years. And it might be the last, depending on how things work out in realignment. Let's start with the Washington State offense because these, I think, are the keys to the game. Washington State needs to stay committed to running the football. We know Cam Ward can air it out. He was terrific last week, 451 passing yards. That was his fifth career game with 450-plus passing yards in his college career, but his first at the FBS level. Remember, he did so at Incarnate Ward uh, prior to transferring to Washington State. So this is a guy who's played a lot of football, but they've now implemented a new offense. It's a little bit more Tennessee than it is Air Raid. Last year, it was really Air Raid, a lot of underneath stuff, a lot of dink and dunk. Now they're pushing it down the field, and clearly the receipts were kept. They were able to stretch the field and kept some problems uh, pose some problems really throughout the whole game. But just because they're so good throwing the ball down the field, they cannot abandon the run game. They have to stay committed to running the football, especially against a Wisconsin team that if you get one dimensional, they will tee off. You have to try, try. You're not going to be balanced, but you have to try your very hardest to get touches for Nikia Watson and Jalen Jenkins. Last week, they combined for just 26 yards on 14 attempts. That's 1.8 yards per carry. Those guys have to get their touches and you have to at least give off the threat of running the football against Wisconsin, even though it's probably going to be a really tall order. For Wisconsin, they have to be a lot more efficient in the passing game. We know they can run it, okay? We know they can run it more on that in just a second. But from what I saw at Tanner Mordecai last week, he looked a little skittish in the pocket, looked a little bit unsure from time to time, but a little hesitant, had a couple picks. One was a really bad one, I might add. Uh... He did have the drop by Skylar Bell on the deep ball to the post. That would have changed the perception of how the passing game fared in week one under Phil Longo. But the passing game, I think, has to be more efficient and they have to be able to push the ball downfield with more intensity. They really work the middle of the field, a lot of in-breaking routes. He's really, really talented. Tanner Mordecai, by the way, watching the tape, when he's set and his feet are set and he's delivering the football, he can rip it. Now he's just got to do so with a little bit more accuracy. And when it's not there, when it's not there, can't have any panic, can't let your eyes deceive you. The third key to this game, can Washington State stop the run? Because Wisconsin at their core, they're still a run first oriented offense. And it was very much on display last week. We know Braylon Allen, I mean, just, he's an amazing player. I mean, just amazing. 
The way he makes guys miss, I mean, there was leakage. I mean, Buffalo defenders are right in the backfield. Boom, makes a miss, and he's out the gate. It should be a loss of two. Instead, he gains 10. He, he's just an amazing, amazing talent. So quick, so athletic. That first cut doesn't really affect or slow him down. He's going to make the first guy miss, and then he's out the gates. So he hits it really hard. thought the offensive line was adequate last week, not great by their standards. So expect that group to hopefully be a little better here in week number two. But the other guy that you don't need to forget about is Malusi. Malusi last week had a career high 157 rushing yards. And if you want to go back and just watch the highlights, you don't have to watch the game. <laughs> I watched it for you. Just watch the 89 yard touchdown run. I mean, he's weaving back and forth, making guys miss. I mean, he showcased uh, a speed that I didn't know he had. So can Washington state stop the run? Because that will be imperative to their success. I lean Wisconsin, but I lean them close. Very, very close in this game. We know the Palouse is a heck of a difficult place to play. I think they're going to have their ears pinned back and they're going to be coming off really, really hard. And I think Wisconsin defensively will ultimately be the difference in this game. But it's going to be a close one and one that I think will be very entertaining out there at night on ABC. Late, late at night, you're going to get Auburn and Cal. And when I say late, I'm talking real late. Like I land for my game and this game will still be 35 minutes away from kicking off. So I can't wait. It's going to be a late one, everybody. Get your coffee, get your energy drinks, get them rolling because this is a game you don't want to miss. All things considered last week, I thought Auburn played really well. Peyton Thorne looked comfortable. I was watching the offensive line closely and we got to take it to account. It's UMass. Okay, so let's not, let's not lose it. But thought he displayed some touch on the deep ball. Thought the receivers looked pretty good. Thought the offensive line looked pretty good. Thought the way they used Robbie Ashford. When you get in the red zone, put him in. He's got some packages. He's got some situational things that you now have to account for. When Robbie Ashford's in the game, the offense changes drastically. So I think that's something to watch. How do they use Robbie Ashford in this game? Because I think he's one of their best football players, and they clearly are going to make it a point of emphasis to get him involved in the matchup. But the big question for me is going to be on Auburn's defensive side of the football. Already lost a, a, a linebacker out with a thumb injury. And when I watched Cal, there was a pretty significant takeaway. And I know it's North Texas, but my goodness, they have some serious athleticism on the offensive side of the football. Now they scored, you know, 58 points and racked up 670 yards of offense. That I think would tell you all you need to know. It really starts at running back. Jaden Ott, is awesome. And this is a heck of a football player. Had a big game last week, 188 yards, but he's got great speed. He's got great athleticism. He can really take it the distance if you give him a seam. Would love to see him continue to get involved in the passing game, but I'm very impressed with what I've seen with their number one back, but don't lose sight of what they have in Ifonse, Isaiah Ifonse. He's the number two back. He's a Montana State transfer, and Afonso has 3,742 career rushing yards. All-time leader in the history of Montana State football. So the two running backs, that's the all-points bulletin for Auburn to be able to slow down this offense. At quarterback, Sam Jackson, he's a transfer, went out in the game a little early, hurt his shoulder, but it returned to practice. All signs point to him being the guy this weekend. Very athletic. 
run around guy. I mean, if it's not there, take off, move, run, you know, he's difficult to defend. The guy's just all over the place. He's really unpredictable. And I thought he was pretty accurate as well when he was in the game. Now, Ben Finley came off the bench. I thought he was really good. 24 of 34, 279, another touchdown, did throw a pick. But either quarterback, I think, even if Sam Jackson's not at 100%, I think either quarterback can make life a little bit difficult. And then at wide receiver, Jeremiah Hunter is a guy that you need to keep an eye on. He's got some juice. He's got some speed, had a touchdown last week. So I think when you look at the two running backs, you look at the receiver and the athleticism that they have at quarterback, this is a difficult offense to defend. Now, the thing that I was more impressed with, perhaps, with Cal is that defensively, they give him just 41 yards rushing. Auburn wants to run the football. That's who they want to be. In a perfect world, they would run the football. They would pound it. And this is a weird-looking front. They run a 2-4-5 scheme, so really two traditional defensive linemen. They have athleticism at the second level. Keep an eye on Jackson Sermon. Sixth-year player, very productive player. But don't lose sight of just how good that de- that defensive front is. Now, their twos, not as good as their ones. But if their ones can hold up, really, it's early in the season. You got to assume that Auburn's going to be running some crazy tempo, too, to try to tire those guys out. Keep an eye on Ethan Saunders uh, and keep an eye on Brett Johnson. Those are the two guys that you need to watch up front. They can be very disruptive. It can impact the game. This is going to be a remarkably difficult game for Auburn. I think they get by. I think they win but I think they win close. I'd take Cal on the points. It's going to be a very tricky spot and I expect it to be a really high scoring affair. A few more things I'm watching closely here on the weekend. Ohio State should not be in a competitive battle, but I will be watching how Devin Brown plays. Kyle McCord, I thought did some really nice things last week, but there were also some moments that you would like to have back. I also think too, I think he was a little bit gun shy, a little bit hesitant if they can just lock in and allow him to just throw freely without looking over his shoulder, I think he'll be better served. Devin Brown, I'm curious to see what he does. Didn't play a lot last week, got thrust into the game right after the interception, but they ran it twice and they went three and out. So we didn't get a real evaluation of what he's capable of. So I'll be watching the Ohio State quarterback position very closely. The other thing that I'm going to be watching very closely is Utah on the road at Baylor. Another line that stinks, by the way. There are stinky lines all over the place this weekend. Utah is six and six on the road the last two years, and five losses came to unranked teams. Now, Mississippi State quarterback transfer is likely to be the starter for Baylor. That's Sawyer Robertson. Did not play very well last week in relief against Texas State. Went just six of 12 for 113 yards, but had an interception and a fumble. So he's going to need to play a whole heck of a lot better. And then is this the week that Cam Rising maybe returns? Hopefully so. If not, It's likely to be Bryson Barnes again, using Nate Johnson there as that situational run guy. The the offense changes drastically when he's in the game. Really like his speed, by the way. Great, great, great mobility. But the big key, we know Dave Aranda is a great defensive mind. Great, phenomenal defensive mind. People will push back on that based on recency bias and how his team played last weekend. I get that completely. But it doesn't erase what Dave Aranda's accomplished as a coach for the last 10, 12, 15 years. I think he's a great defensive mind. How will he apply pressure to Bryson Barnes? Because last week, Florida was completely unable to do so. When Bryson Barnes had a clean pocket and there was no pressure, he was 9 of 10 for 132. Okay? That's pretty dang impressive. 9 of 10, 132. That's 13.2 yards per attempt. He carved him up. But when he started to feel the heat, when there was pressure, when Florida was coming after him, when the 
pocket integrity wasn't great. His efficiency dipped to just three for eight for 27 yards. That's 3.4 yards attempt. So how does Dave Aranda heat up Bryson Barnes if Cam Risen is unavailable? North Carolina's defense against App State. Remember last year, App State, App State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter alone. North Carolina has grown by leaps and bounds from last year on defense. I think Cayman Rucker off the edge. I think both linebackers, both Sed Gray and Power Eccles, are complete difference makers. And the defensive front looked tenacious and aggressive last weekend, while the secondary play could maybe stand to grow just a bit. Was very encouraged with what I saw from North Carolina. I expect that defense to continue to play really, really well moving forward, and they should be able to handle App State and an offense that is still trying to kind of figure themselves out. few things to think about this weekend. If you're wanting to have just a little bit of action, there's some very intriguing lines out there. All right. It starts on Friday, Illinois getting three on the road at Kansas. I think Illinois, people are going to overreact greatly. By the way, that will be a constant theme. If you haven't picked it up already, there's a ton of overreaction all throughout the college football world. So just don't fall victim to it. Is all I say, don't fall victim to the overreaction. Illinois getting three, I'll take the points all day long. I think Illinois and Luke Altmeyer showcased the ability to run last week. I thought he did some really nice things, bounced back nicely from the interception. I think Illinois has got a chance to make this thing really interesting. You already saw Brett Bielham a tweet earlier in the week too. They are technically the least talented team in the Big Ten. They only had like six four-star recruits. Who cares? Like, I, mean, I know it matters. I get that it matters. But I think Brett Bielema has probably shown that to his guys. He tweeted it. He retweeted it. So something tells me Illinois is going to come out with a little bit of an edge this week and make life difficult from a physical standpoint against a Kansas team that's going to rely a lot on Jalen Daniels. He's hopefully back. He missed week one. Very athletic guy. We know that he can be a problem in the open field. But here's some other crazy overreactions, okay? Just be very careful. Colorado's a three-point favorite against Nebraska. Everyone and their brothers on Colorado. I completely understand why. I watched the game last week too. I do think Nebraska stands the chance to make it a little bit more difficult. It's going to be a more physical game. And that could, could, I'm not saying it will, I'm saying it could lean in favor of Nebraska. That's one I'd watch very closely and I'd be careful betting on the Buffaloes in that situation. Utah Baylor, everyone and their brothers on Utah. Be careful back in the Utes. They have not been as good on the road. And we just, everyone's talking about, well, Baylor's without their starting quarterback. Baylor's without their starting quarterback. Well, Utah was out there starting a quarterback last week. Everyone flew on the Florida side. And the next thing you know, their starting quarterback played pretty dang well in Bryson Barnes. So don't always overreact to the starting quarterback. How about Oklahoma State on the road at Arizona State? This line stinks to high heaven. Oklahoma State just a three-point favorite on the road at Arizona State who barely beat an FCS team a week ago. They have a true freshman quarterback. No way they can pull it off, right? Be careful back in the pokes. I don't know if I can necessarily get on board with Arizona State here, but back in the pokes does feel like a dicey proposition. You're probably noticing a trend here with the exception of Colorado and, and Kansas. I mean, home dogs across the board. There's a lot of home dogs out there that are very intriguing. Wisconsin at Washington State, I'd take the points all day long. Miami at Texas A&M, or Texas A&M at Miami, excuse me. I think this would be one where I would back the favorite on the road, but man, it doesn't feel good. I can promise you that. SMU against Oklahoma. I'd probably take the points right here. Knowing that both teams, you know, SMU's had this one circled. Huge opportunity for Rhett Lashley and their program. So it wouldn't be surprising to me if SMU backdoor covers their way into covering the 16. It wouldn't shock me whatsoever. Oregon at Texas Tech. This line's six and a half. Texas Tech lost 
to Wyoming last week. Wyoming. No way. Oregon scored 81. There's no way Oregon plays a close game on the road in Lubbock. Be careful back in the Ducks. Arizona at Mississippi State. Arizona, nobody knows anything about them. You know, Jaden Delora, Mississippi State, SEC school. Just be careful. At nine, nine and a half in that vicinity, be careful. I think that could be one that could go the distance because Arizona's got some real athleticism offensively. And they also got a couple dudes at linebacker that will hit you. They fly around like crazy. Very athletic group out there in Tucson. So be careful if you're Mississippi State. UCF looked like gangbusters last week. Looked awesome on Thursday night. Wasn't a flawless performance by any stretch of the imagination, but it was really, really solid. They go on the road to Boise. Difficult road trip. That line's three and a half. Be careful backing the Knights in that game. Texas and Alabama, another one that we'll be watching naturally. Everyone and their brother will be watching that game. Hey, it was close last year. It was close last year. Maybe it won't be this year. I don't know. I, I really don't know. But be careful using last year as a gauge for what the game might look like this upcoming year. And Auburn and Cal. Reference that game already. Be very, very careful. Be careful. That's all I'm saying. To me, everyone, SEC on the road, Cal's not won a lot of games recently. That's a different looking Cal team. They have more athleticism than I've seen in quite some time. Iowa, Iowa State, everyone's saying under, under, under. I can tell you what I'm not doing. I'm not taking the over, but I don't know. Everyone and their brother seems to be on the under. That makes me a little concerned as well. So just some things to consider. Those aren't necessarily hold me to them, lock picks. I'm not a handicapper, but I'm just telling you, those are things that would jump out to me as something I would be very, very mindful of. That will do it for us here at Always College Football. I continue to ask you and really appreciate the support that you guys have given the show the last year and change really means a lot. It really does. If you could like, if you could rate, if you could subscribe, it helps us out. It helps the show out. Subscribe on the podcast. Leave us a review. That would be awesome as well. Leave us a five-star rating. We love you guys so much and continue to tell people about Always College Football. We're breaking these games down from every possible angle with as deep of a breakdown as you're going to get anywhere here on the podcast platforms. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day and a great weekend. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.